Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Aging Younger with David and Stephanie Tippy, founders of the Anti-Aging Clinic in Water Hill, Florida, where the alternatives matter. Now here are your hosts, David and Stephanie Tippy. Welcome to Aging Younger Radio. This is Stephanie Tippy, and I am broadcasting live from our clinic in Tamarack, Florida. David and I can be reached at 954-742-4430, and you can visit us online at livelonger123.com. One of the most difficult things that we as human beings are ever called upon to do is to respond to evil with kindness and to forgive the unforgivable. Yet, there are so many studies that show that one of the keys to longevity and good health is to develop a habit of gratitude and to let go of the past hurts. Now, at Aging Younger, we are all about living longer. This evening, we are going to hear from a man who forgave the unforgivable act of the killing of his son, and how today he and his family are living a life of gratitude and love, and yes, hence, aging younger. Now, I'd like to bring in our guest, Rob Cagle. Rob, welcome to Aging Younger Radio. Hello, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me, for inviting me. Oh, this is a pleasure. I was ecstatic when your publicist contacted me about having you on Aging Younger because you have such a powerful story and it falls in line with our principles here of body, mind, spirit to live a longer, healthier life and age younger. So you are a natural fit to the radio show. So thank you for being here. And before I start the interview, I know we're going to have uh, lots of listeners who might want to call in, and I would like to give out that call-in number. It's 1-347-826-7400. That number, again, is 1-347-826-7400, and the chat room will be open for any questions that might be coming in. So, Rob, please share with, with us, with our audience, our listeners, your background, and how you, Rob Cagle, raised four children by yourself. Wow. Well, um, my wife left. My We had triplets and, uh, and an older boy, and the older boy was 13 months uh, older than the triplets. His name was Joshua, and he is the son that I've lost. And um, when my triplets were two and my older boy was three my my wife 
I guess, could no longer respond to the calling of being a mom, and uh, and she left, um, and left me with four delightful, loving spirits, uh, and I was challenged uh, to rise to the occasion, and uh, in many aspects I did, and. <laughs> And I'm sure there were a few aspects in which I didn't, I didn't always uh, fare so well, but it, it certainly made of me uh, a better person. My children were my teachers. I'm sure they taught you quite a bit, especially when when your older son Joshua had passed. Uh, that is, uh, that, that's quite. May I ask? Um, your your ex-wife, does she keep in contact with your children? Well, when she left, she turned to a, a life of drugs and um and and I you know, I I could never really fault her for it. I knew that she was just unable to do to to play the cards that were dealt her. She didn't have it within her to uh to give uh to for it was such an uh, it was such an awesome task and responsibility, and she just didn't have it within her. That's all. And so when when she le- you know what? I just forgot the question that you asked. I'm sorry. Whether she's no, that's all right. Whether or not she's still oh, whether huh? she stayed in contact. That's right. So you know because she was into drugs at that point in time, uh, her contacts with the children were very infrequent. Uh, she might she might come. Uh, once every month, every every five or six weeks. Sometimes she would promise to come and and not come, and not show up at all. And my, I remember, I have visions of my children standing in the driveway waiting for her and crying, because they were yet to be disappointed one more time. And this was part of their story. And finally, at uh, when my children were about at age 15, uh, she took her own life. And oh, wow. So that was uh for my children it was the final the final betrayal. I would imagine and your children uh, uh, that would have uh, that would have given anybody uh the sense of uh, such insecurity I would think that the the sense of not being loved uh, and to have uh, to have their own mother leave them in that tragic way. Yeah, they you know they they sought their mother's love. Um, they for years, I mean they they just um, they just wanted her love more than anything, and um, they they never really gave up on it. The children are so forgiving. No, they never will give up. And I guess maybe one of the lessons you learned from your children and why you are here telling your story today is to become forgiving through the eyes of your kids. Yes. Yes. I mean, I you know, I you, we never know what goes on in their subconscious mind and and the hurts that are uh, brought about by the experiences in our life, but you know, more often than not, it is the way we look at life rather than the things that happen to us that determine our happiness and to, and determines our pain. It's how we frame the things that happen to us in our life. And I tried to uh, instill in my kids at an early age that, you know, that they should love their mother, that she is doing the best that she knew how to do, that 
you know, she was raised uh, not necessarily in the best circumstances, and her, I believe that her cup was never filled, and therefore she could never fill their cup. I didn't want them to grow up with hatred in their hearts for her. I wanted them to love and respect her, and by the same token, um, I could constantly see one episode after another where she kept betraying them and, and kept you know, promising them that she would show up and then, and then not show up. But I had, to, I had to nevertheless try and keep my children in that forgiving state. I, 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 I'm kind of lost at words because it's very difficult for for a husband and, and kids to lose their mother while having her walk out on them, the wife, mother, and then have her take her life. But you as such an upbeat, motivational speaker, inspirational type person, I would imagine for you it was very frustrating not being able to have helped her turn around. You know, I, I I have to say, I mean, some self-disclosure here, that I don't know that I was ever really in a place where I could even try to help her turn around. She was living an alternate lifestyle at that point in time. And unfortunately enough for the kids, uh, many times when she did come to visit them, she ended up visiting with me for a half an hour and then leaving rather than visiting them. And I don't know that I would have known what to do at that point in time to turn her, to turn her life around. So I can't, I really can't take credit for, uh, for any of that. Well, so why? Let Let's talk about your children and the devastating effects that it had on the kids. Uh, let, what about Joshua? What What about his story? Well, I think when Josh was about uh, 10 years old, he wrote a poem called A Hole in My Soul. And, uh, you know, I'd always had very in-depth conversations with my children about there was nothing, there was nothing in life that was so sacred that I couldn't talk with them about it. And I did from a very early age. And a lot of people, you know, had said to me throughout the years, you you can't talk with your children about death. You can't talk with your children about this and that and the other. And I always felt if they were old enough to understand it, they were old enough to be in a conversation about it. And uh, I had always done a lot of uh, uh, self-observation and uh, work on myself. I read, a, you know, a lot of self-development books because to me there was nothing really more uh, important in life than than growing and becoming better than you were the day before. And I tried to pass all of that on to my children. And um, my children were very responsive to it. They loved those heavy conversations that we had. I mean, I think most adults would call call them heavy conversations. I think my children just found them uh, interesting and fascinating. And and they were fascin- it was fascinating for me to share something with them that I never started learning until I was in my mm, probably mid twenties. I'd always been in the self-development. Yes, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Give me a specific. What type of conversation? Oh, we would talk about we would talk about things like giving, 
is it is it right or wrong to give to homeless people we would we would talk about death i mean i remember taking my children to see uh flatliners uh when most of my adult friends were afraid of that movie they were afraid of the topic of death and and i i find death fascinating i find it, it it's an extension of life i believe that it is you've heard the expression stephanie that darkness defines the light well, to me, death defines life, uh, and it gives life more meaning. And I don't know that our life would be our life here on this planet, on this earth, would be as significant as it is without without death. And so well, we would talk about we would talk about things like that. And geez, even when my kids were very lo- young, they loved those conversations. Mm-hmm. And me being a teacher. I love being in conversation with them about those things. I never had those conversations growing up with my family. So it, oh, I it, didn't it, either. And we're in the I, same I didn't gift. either. Yeah, we <laughs> we may have been sit, we may have been sitting down at the dinner table with our uh, with our folks, which was a lot healthier than what's going on today. But I don't I don't believe I don't remember being involved in my conversations with my parents about their life like they were in conversations with, with my with that my children were with me uh when they were growing up we got in and down and dirty and we talked about everything so, <laughs> i i hear you so i'm jumping ahead we didn't finish about joshua's story but you said death is an extension of life and i i understand and i get what you're saying so when your son Joshua uh, died at the hand of the person who killed him, how did your soul take that? How 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 did you? What was your reaction? So so let me back up just a tad. Right after the my the mother of my children, their mother, uh, committed suicide. Uh, it hit my kids in a I, as you can well imagine in a very very hard way and all four of my children started into a a life of drugs at that point in time and if I thought my life was difficult before raising four kids it now I became a warden in my own home Uh, my kids were they were almost on a suicide mission they were reckless in the way they were living their life and I was almost powerless to stop them at that point in time and there came a point, uh, Josh had be, had gotten very heavily into drugs. And uh, over a period of years, it, it was just getting worse and worse. And the courts really refused to to clamp down on him. They kept slapping his hand, and I would try and convince the judges every time he had a court hearing that, to be a little bit, you know, to be more firm with him. You know, don't, you know, overnight in jail means nothing to him. Three nights in jail means nothing to him. This this needs to hurt. If you really want to stop him from doing drugs, make it painful. I, I you know, you've heard the expression, if you throw a frog in a pot of uh, boiling water, he'll jump out. But if you throw a frog into a pot of cold water and slowly turn up the heat, he'll stay in there until he dies. And my impression of the way the the court system handled at least my child 
was they just kept slapping his hand. It was like a big joke. And I'd, I'd like to back up and, and give the audience a little bit of a, a background about my son. He was a very loving individual. Everybody loved him. He was, uh, he was in honors in high school. He was a uh, very good athlete. He um, loved nature, camping, fishing, hiking, and he loved everybody, and everybody loved him. Now, that doesn't mean that he wasn't hurting on the inside and that he didn't have a hole in his soul. But um, even when the cops would pick him up, all of his infractions were against himself. You know, he didn't do, ever do anything to anybody. He always got picked up for drugs. And um, the cops even liked him to the point where most of the time when they picked him up, they would bring him home to me because he was so nice to the cops and so polite with them that they didn't want to haul him down to jail. So he was a really sweet-spirited kid and full of life, but also also full of uh, pain. And so he turned his life over to drugs. and, And, of course, then, you know, when my kids started using drugs, things got really, really difficult for me. And uh, finally, one time, I'm guessing when he was probably 17 or 18 or so, the judge, uh, one judge, finally cracked down and said, "If I see you again, you're going away for three years." And uh, it wasn't too long after that that they saw him again, and. Uh, the judge was about ready to issue the sentence to to go for uh, to to go away for three years to serve time in prison, when a um, an uncle from Anchorage got a hold of the got a hold of the judge and convinced the judge to let Josh to allow Josh to come up and live with him in Anchorage, that he would get him a job. Uh, there doing you know very very hard work. And he would give him a place to live, and the judge bought it. And Josh was went up to. Was this your uncle? Was this your brother? This 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 was uh, the uncle of my of my ex, their mother. Right. And uh, Josh experienced episodes of success and episodes of failure when he was up there. He worked very hard. He got raises. He met his his wife, who was Tongan from the island of. Uh, had a child with her, and it looked like he was turning his life around. And then the pull of the drugs was just too strong, and he, he battled with it. He would get off it and back on it. And uh, I, I think it was about three months before he died, he called me. He always stayed in contact with me. And um, about three months before he, he passed on, he called me, and he was crying, and he said, Dad, he says, he says I'm going to lose my wife, and I'm going to lose my children. He says, I don't know how to stop. And that was the first time he had ever admitted to, admitted to me that he was addicted. You know, all the conversations beyond that, I mean, we were able to have great conversations together, but when it came to, drug, when it came to drugs, he would never admit that he had an addiction. And this time, he was so afraid that he was going to lose his wife and child that he um, that he called me in tears, saying that he was, you know, that he didn't know how to quit. Mm-hmm. 
and three months about three months thereafter he I got a call from his uncle that that he had taken his life or that that he had been shot and it was you know i I have to say stephanie i i saw it i sort of saw it coming i mean when you're into meth, the type of people that you associate with are are not uh, high caliber people and uh bad things happen in fact i i have, when he had lived at home i eventually had to kick him out of the house because of the quality of the people that he was bringing into our house and exposing his brothers and sisters to it was just not savory and it wasn't safe and it, there came a point when i had to kick him out of the house and then of course years later he goes to anchorage and um so i I remember I was one day I was in a parking lot um and I received a call from another uncle in California and he said, "Rob, where are you?" And automatically that didn't sound good to me. And I I just had the suspicion that Josh was gone. And he said, "Where are you?" And I said, "Well, I'm in a parking lot. I'm in the car." He says, "When will you be home?" And when he said that, I knew Josh was gone. You know that, that oh that is that's very heavy to be told over the phone that your your son is that your son is to that you can feel because we uh, we have our intuition and usually when our intuition speaks it's the feeling it's right on target with what we are feeling you know Rob we're going to take a very quick break uh, we will be right back and we'll pick up with the story of Josh and how you managed to drive home and uh, hear the rest of how he had uh, been killed. You are listening to Stephanie Tippy on Aging Younger Radio. Uh, please don't go away. We will be right back. Look your best safely without surgery. We offer non-surgical facelift treatments complete with professional skincare products utilizing magical copper. The anti-aging clinic shows you weight management and body contouring, all safe and non-invasive. Turn back the hands of time with Growth Factor Spray. Antioxidants are our first line of defense against aging. Our professionals can scientifically verify if your vitamins are working with new laser technology. Get your score by calling today. That's how I found out over the phone from an uncle. 
and of course that night on the phone I was dealing with all the detectives. The the fellow who had um, shot my son had um, pistol whipped him first, and um, and then shot him. I believe it was seven or eight times. Oh, what was his wife around? Yeah, they were. They were in. Uh, apparently, the story, as I understand it, they were uh, having a verbal argument in front of the church. Uh, the the young man who sh- who shot my son was actually a cousin to Josh's wife, and they were having a verbal argument. Josh was high on drugs at the time, and uh, but but he was not. You know, he was not hurting her physically. They were just arguing. And he came out of the house with a gun and, and shot him. Is it, what, and, and, and what happened to him? I, I'm sure there was a whole trial. Did he yeah, it was a big thing. This, this took place in Anchorage, Alaska. The trial went on, I believe it was for three years. Um, and the 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 prosecuting attorney, uh, the defending attorney in Anchorage, the court system, did really a, a pretty lousy job of keeping me uh, tuned into what was going on. And it was such a long uh, process. I, I had no idea uh, really what was going on. But three years later, it comes time for the hearing or for the sentencing. And um <clears throat> My wife convinced me that I should go to that I should fly to Anchorage, Alaska for the sentencing. I, at first, I didn't want to go, but then I thought to myself, you know, I, I really need to, to vindicate my son. When I was reading all the blogs that were going on in one of the Anchorage newspapers, and the number of people that were saying mean, horrible things about about my son, about a man that they didn't even know. I mean, they didn't know how much love Josh had inside of him. They just referred to him as a druggie, and they may were making comments like uh, the guy should have emptied the clip in him, and the only good druggie is a dead druggie. And I was reading all these things in the newspaper, uh, in these blogs, and uh, my heart just broke every time I read something like that. They don't even see; they don't even see. All they see of my son is that he's trash. They don't see that he's somebody's son, that he has love inside of him, that he's got a son of his own that he loves and a wife that he cares for and loves. And it's just, uh, you know, humanity can be pretty cruel sometimes. You know, so the, the I wanted to go to, I wanted to go to Anchorage to, break, to, yes. to vindicate my son and to let people know that, you know, he was a loving, he was a loving son. And, uh, you know, even when I went to high school to to pick him up or anything, even as a, a young man in high school, he would come up to me and hug me and kiss me. Even as a high schooler, where most kids won't even won't even you know look at their parents in front of their kids, or I'm excuse, yeah, look at their parents in front of their friends. Uh, my kids were always very loving with me, as was Josh. And of course, all they all everyone else saw was that he was a druggie and a scumbag. So what about his wife? And what, did she did she do anything to try to vindicate his name? Not to my knowledge, no. No. 
but also I have to say on her behalf, I mean, she had to witness a man that she loved, even though they were arguing, a man that she had a baby with. She had to witness him being murdered in in the most brutal way. I personally don't know how she'll ever live that down. I don't know either, but so you went to Anchorage, you went to the hearing, and what was the outcome? Well, uh, one of my daughters and I went to the hearing. My my daughter Shana and I went to the hearing, and uh, we brought at the hearing. You're allowed to uh, testify. The family is allowed to testify on behalf of their their son or their, their you know their um relative and so so first what happens is the defense attorney gets to speak on behalf of the defendant and the and then we get to speak i got to speak and shana got to speak and we pay we played a recorded uh cd of my other daughter uh jesse uh speaking and uh you know, we were speaking on behalf of, of Josh, just letting the system know that he was a good person, a loving man who had drug problems. And, the you know, the prosecuting attorney made his case that the, this man should go away for a long time. And I, I have to say, I did not go up with, with revenge in my heart. It just was not... It just was not something that I that I did. I was uh, I wanted to know this young man. I wanted to understand him. I wanted to. I really, if if it, if I had my choice, I would have wanted to see him rehabilitated. I just didn't like the fact that we've already lost one member of society. Now we're going to lose a second because he's going to go away forever. And the thought that was really in my heart is that he could be rehabilitated. And as I sat there that day, I am I am very intuitive when it comes to people. I I read people's energies instantly, um, and I I could sense a very strong. I got a very strong sense that this young man was a good person, a nice person, a loving person. I had already done some background checks on him and found out that he'd never had so much as even a moving traffic violation. He'd never had any trouble with the court system. He was about my son's age and never had any any problems in, in the court system before. Anyway, so after everybody spoke, both sides presented their uh, how they felt. The prosecuting attorney spoke, the defending attorney spoke, I spoke, my daughter spoke. Uh, the judge said, um, we're going to take a um, a break. He says, when we come back, I will render my uh, decision. And so the prosecuting attorney said to us, he said, uh, "How would you?" He he said, "How would you like to go for a walk down the street, and we'll talk while we walk?" And I said, "That's fine." And something was just weighing very heavily in my heart. And, you know, we weren't, didn't get very far, maybe a half a block, and I said to him, I said, um, you know, I have to say something to my daughter. I said, I don't mind that you listen. Uh, I said, but, but I have to speak with my daughter at this point in time. And I turned to Shana, 
And I said, um, you know, I'd like to ask, I'd like to ask the judge for the lightest sentence possible. And I said, but I can't. I don't want to. I don't want to do that without your permission. And she said to me, Dad. She said, I could not do that myself. She says, but if that's if those are your wishes then I will go along with that. And I th- which I thought was a very mature act on her part. And showed a lot of respect for me and a lot of love for my wishes and and my thoughts. Anyways, the prosecuting attorney didn't like this. <laughs> As no, you can well imagine, I don't he, he just spent 3 years trying to put this guy away. So I said to the prosecuting attorney, I said can I speak to the defendant? And he said, oh, no. He said, absolutely not. He said, that's how fights break out in the courtroom. And I said, well, can I speak to the judge again? He said, I said, can I approach the bench? And he said, no, you can't. He says, once you have spoken to the judge, you're not allowed to approach the bench again. And I said, well, would you please ask for me? And he said, I will. And when we got back to the courtroom, he asked, and uh, and the judge granted permission for me to approach the bench. But before I spoke to the judge, I turned to the defendant, and I addressed him. <laughs> I did the exact opposite of what I was told to do, but I had to. I just had to. There was that voice inside of me, and the message needed to get out. And I turned to the defendant, and I told him that I loved him, and I told him that I 100% forgive him. And um, he acknowledged me. He didn't say much, but he nodded his head. And uh, after which... I spoke to the judge, and I told the judge everything that I felt, and I felt like it would be a tragedy to lose two lives, and I felt that this was a good person who made a bad mistake, and uh, I'm sorry, and I asked for the lightest sentence possible, and the judge uh, was so eloquent in his delivery, he then spoke for What seemed like a half an hour, it was probably more like 20 minutes, but he spoke very, very eloquently. And he told told the court, he says, I've decided to reverse my decision. He said, I I was going to throw the book at him, and he was going to uh, serve 30 years in prison. And he says, I am going to give him the lightest sentence possible in light of your testimony. And he says, I'm, he will serve 10 years, and with three years already served, the three years of the, you know, that he was being tried, he was going to get credit for those three years. And uh, so he only had seven more years to, to uh, serve. And when he was done, uh, of course, the father of the defendant came over and just was, he was so... He was tearful. He was he was crying. He was 
loving all over me and so thankful. His minister came over and was so thankful to me. And I had no doubt that I had done the right thing. And at that point in time, I really knew that I had done the right thing because I had really, I was in a place where I just did not let my ego get involved in what I wanted to say and what I was feeling. And I, I felt like, I felt like spirit was telling me that this is a good person. What, and spirit was telling long, me to love and forgive him. How long ago is and this I now? Did. I, is he so this still is in, probably now, it's, it's probably five years ago now. So he's still in jail. No, so what ended up happening is about three months after he went back to prison, um, I got a call. I don't actually remember who I got the call from, but I got a call saying that he had died in prison from a brain tumor. And I have to tell you, Stephanie, I felt devastated. Absolutely devastated. And the first thing that popped into my head was perhaps it was this brain tumor that caused him to do what he did. Because obviously you know, that, he didn't just develop he just didn't develop the brain tumor overnight. It was something that he had had and no one knew anything about. And you know and, and that's instinctively what I knew is that this brain tumor caused him to do what he did. Well, your intuition is generally, uh, I'm a strong believer in in, uh, following the intuition because it's usually right. Did he know your your son before this incident? Before the killing? I I believe he knew him. I don't think he knew my son intimately, but... I, I have to say that when Josh was high on meth, which was his which was his drug of choice at that point in time, he was terribly annoying uh, to be around. I mean, even as his father, uh, when they're high on meth, they're all amped up. Their energy is running a million to one, and uh, it's he's sort of like a, a <laughs> like a mosquito around your head. It's just it was just annoying when he was he was just annoying when he was on drugs and he was probably I'm sure that to the defendant whose name was Asi, uh I'm sure he found him very annoying and was very annoyed by him. I can well imagine. And and today uh, where what about his wife today? Has she been able to forgive? Have you, you know, been I haven't able- had that. I haven't had that conversation with her. I have had a conversation with her about dating. Uh, I know she hasn't dated since then, and I really would like to see her happy. And uh, I, I just can't. I can't even imagine. I have never seen, and I have never witnessed another human being die let alone brutally. She not only witnessed it, she was holding their little uh, baby at that time, Josh Jr. She was holding him, him in her arms, and this all happened right in front of her. So I can't even begin to... 
Oh, the she nightmares, must, the trauma that she must feel in her heart. Oh my gosh, I just, I, I just can't even imagine. I mean, I, I feel, even though I lost my son, I feel far worse for her than I do for me. Do you see your grandson? Yeah, we don't see him very often. Uh, we just saw him. Actually, I think we've seen him two summers in a row. He came down here last summer and, and stayed with uh, one of my children, and and we got together and, you know, we went to the water parks and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, and then what about the forgiveness on the part of, of Josh's siblings? Were they able to forgive the way their father did? I believe they have. I've never heard a word of hatred from any of them. Not one time. Not one time. They they're just uh the they are miraculous kids. They really are. They're no longer kids, you know, they're in their uh I guess they're about the they're triplets and I, so it's two girls and a boy and I believe they're about they're 32 right now. I'm not, I'm horrible with ages, and I like to be horrible with mine. I don't like to remember how old I am, so I I would gladly forget that one in a heartbeat. <laughs> you're so tuned into aging younger. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a- as we discussed before the program, I feel young, and when I'm in the gym, I feel even younger. So, well, to have as 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 much love in your heart that doesn't hurt. That helps a lot to stay. To stay young, and you're a very inspirational per, uh, person, and I've been on your website, and uh, I'd like uh, for you to give that information out so people can tap into you, uh, how to find you, because I know you are a motivational speaker, and rightfully so, you, 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 you're you an inspirational speaker, and I'd, on your website, you have some inspirational quotes. And I would like at this time, one, let's first put out your uh, website. It's robkagel.com, am I correct? That's correct, and that's K-A-G-E-L. So that's Rob, R-O-B, Kagel, K-A-G-E-L. Dot com. And, uh, so, and your publicist is Stephanie, you just remember my uh-huh. name, Homeyer. Homeyer, H-O-M-E-I-E-R. Right, and you can contact Stephanie for speaking engagements. Uh, as you can see, Rob is well, uh, well spoken and well versed on the act of forgiveness. So, in in your on your website, you have a blog, and one of the blogs is: Is your head out of alignment with your heart? So that's correct. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? Well. Uh, you know, in in my heart, I truly believe that we are all connected to God, always connected to God. I believe there is that voice inside of us that speaks to us, that guides us, that always tells us what to do and how to be. Unfortunately, uh, often, we start listening to the voice of our ego instead. Our ego resides in our head. Our head is, you know, our ego always wants to be right, it always wants to be the biggest, the fastest, the cutest, the richest, the strongest. Um, and when we listen to the voice of ego, we also buy into fear and hatred. Those are all the 
those are all the calling cards of the ego. But the voice of God always is inside of us. And it's a matter of listening for that voice. Because it is always speaking to us. I taught my kids at an early age, when you have a question, go lay down in bed. Focus your attentions on your stomach. Ask the question that you need the answer to. Because they were always coming to me to answer their questions. And I didn't want to answer their questions. I wanted them to be able to answer their own questions. Each of us has wisdom inside of us. And so I taught them to do that, to go to your bed, lie in your bed, and as soon as you answer that, ask that question, the answer is going to come to you. You don't need to hear the answer from me. And I remember the, the first time I ever sent Josh to his bedroom, to, he, <laughs> he, bound, he bounded out of bed. He came back to me. I was sitting on the couch. He said, Dad, it worked. He said, I asked the question, and he said, he says, it just told me the answer immediately. <clears throat> but, I, you know, I think that so often in life, you know, we have so many pressures in life and so many uh, problems that we're constantly dealing with, and we live such a fast-paced life that it's very easy to get caught up in listening to our ego, listening to our fear-based, power-based ego, rather than living, listening to the voice for God. Because that voice is always there. And I, will, I think uh, quite often, I think quite often right. people just have learned not to tune into it. It's there. He didn't well, give it to he, me and not to other people. That's true. And, you know, I, the, I believe, as you do, and so as you so aptly stated, that uh, we are all connected. And it's connectedness, in my opinion, that is the first step to the journey of self-healing. And self-healing has to do, again, let's go to back to the bind, uh, body, uh, mind, and spirit, uh, the, the trinity of the three. And uh, so uh, I, I'm glad you brought that up, and I'm glad you wrote that blo- the blog, Is Your Head Out of Alignment with Your Heart? Because it, in most cases, it is. And as you said, it's the chatter in the head. It's our own internal chatter uh, that causes our ego to explode and puts us into situations that at times we, we as humans don't or can't withstand. You know, we have choices in life, Stephanie. We, we can choose judgment or we can choose peace. We can choose attack or we can choose forgiveness. Uh, we can choose fear or we can choose love. And it's, it is always a choice. And unfortunately, uh, it, you know, it takes, it takes practice. You know, it, it's easy to say that we can choose those things, but it does. It takes practice. And I believe that's why we're here on this planet, is to grow spiritually. And God has given us ample time to to work on those things and to work on ourselves and and it's not easy. You know when when you hear when we hear the expression, you know, we'll just turn it over to God. Well, that might sound like the easy way, the lazy way, but it's really not. It's the hard way because you're really becoming mindful now. When you're turning something over to God, you're you're becoming more mindful. You're becoming more mindful of how you're showing up in life and you're becoming more mindful of how you should show up in life and how you could show up, and, and all the wonderful possibilities. And so we always have those choices. But, you know, I have to say it, it, takes, it takes a lot of work. And to me it is the most gratifying, it is the most glorious 
path to be on, to constantly be in the process of working on yourself. Self-discovery. Self-discovery, absolutely. And when we see those things about ourselves that are, that are ugly and we all have them inside of us, we need to embrace that and say, yep, that's me. That may be the way that I've always been, but it doesn't have to be the way that I am going to be forever. I am going to change. And I think there's a cry for, I think there's a crying, there's a yearning for that in America. When, when you look at the self-help books now in, in bookstores, if you were looking for a self-help book 20 years ago, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, you would have found maybe one shelf in a bookstore of self-help books, and it probably wouldn't have taken up the whole shelf. Nowadays, you find shelves and shelves and shelves of self-help books. I believe that people, I believe that we as a society uh, are yearning to, to be at a higher level. Those and, things are and, not there by accident. So, so, Rob, why don't you explain how you, Rob Cagle, can help others uh, receive the gift of forgiveness? Wow. <laughs> that's, a, that's a tall order. Um, well, you know, you're... you're, we, can put, you're... We, can put things, we can put things on a logical plane. I mean, I can always explain it in a logical way. You know, I can tell you that I know that my son wouldn't have wanted me to, um, my son loved me, and he wouldn't want me to stay in pain forever and stay in a state of rage and hate. He wouldn't have wanted that for me. But that's a logical, that's a logical way of looking at it. And I think logic works, but then the practice needs to set in. And we need to understand that it's not just an act of forget forgiveness, it's a state of being. It's a state of being you, because But how how do you got well, I, you're 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 here for a reason and uh, I believe the reason it has taken you away from your position in the educational system so that you can focus on giving the p- others the gift of forgiveness. So Well, I, I believe yes. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Stephanie. I was well, just going to say. Well, I believe that it's a, matter of re- it's a matter of reframing the way we look at everything. You know, we look at everything through, our, through colored glasses. You, if three people witness something, they'll all witness it differently based on their background. I remember many years ago, this man called me. He was, a, he was a, an ex-student of mine. He was blind. I used to teach the blind. I taught the blind for 30 years. I taught them how to travel, how to walk with a dog guide or a white cane. And several years after I had quit working with this man, he called me and told me that his son had attempted suicide that day and would I counsel him. And to make a long story short, I won't tell you everything that happened, but I will tell you that how I worked with that young man is to work on reframing the way he looked at his life. And he was very open to my teachings, and he was very open to um, looking at life a different way. We always look at life our way, and we think that our way is the right way, and we try and justify it. Well, I'm justified in being angry with my dad because my dad did this and my dad did that. 
well, you know what? You don't know how your dad was raised. You know, you don't know what type of abuse he may have faced when he was growing up. And so when I work with people, one of the things that I do is is get them to I teach them how to reframe the way they look at things. And then always to stay in a state of thankfulness for everything. Because everything that happens to us happens for us. Even the perceived negative things that happen in our lives happen for us. They are all there for the growth of our soul. Ah, that is so true. We are spiritual beings living the human experience. And yeah. part of this living this human experience is to learn how to return to the spiritual state and to return to the eternal love that is within that spiritual state. And it's unfortunate that when we come on this plane and when we incarnate that we forget how connected we are to our divine source, but our light is always shining from within. It's just that we have to find a way how to emanate that light for others to see and for our own selves to see. Because people on drugs, the story of your son Joshua, the same thing I'll share with you in the audience. The same thing happened uh, to my brother. He was caught up in in the drug uh, situation. He wasn't killed, but he did overdose, and he, he passed at a very young age uh, of 27. And it's it all because these young people did not know how to let their light shine from within to without so that they can live the life that our our creator so wants us to. That's what I believe. Absolutely. And you know, every everything that we do is either an extension of love or a call for love. So when we see uh, people who are addicted, when we see people who are acting out, uh, when we see them do the things that that they do that may cause us to uh, uh, experience feelings of hatred for them or whatever, it's important to remember that that they are calling out for love. They they themselves are hurting on the inside, or they wouldn't be doing some of the things that they're doing. They they need to be rescued from themselves, and they're calling out for love. Every every human being on this planet wants to be loved. No, not just humans. Even the the animal kingdom. Uh, Absolutely. Eat, Plants are, are are planting them. If you don't show love and, and affection and, and talk to your plants, they're not going to survive either. So we are all connected, everything. Yes, we are. And again, I, I say, and this comes uh, from a book I read and someone else I interviewed from the uh, Aborigines in Australia, that the very, very first step to self-healing is the is connectedness, to realize that we are all connected and we are all one. And there was uh, somebody sent me uh, uh, like a... Um, it's like a, a PowerPoint uh, slide, and it's we and then me underneath it. So we, if you reverse it, is me. 
Think about yes. it. We, me. We are me. Me, we are we, you know? We are all one. You know, and I, I always taught my kids that whatever whatever thoughts that you think about another human being, uh, you're the one that experiences those thoughts, not them. So if you feel thoughts of hatred towards them, you're the one that's experiencing the hate. They're not feeling your hatred. And so it doesn't serve you well to think hateful thoughts of another human being. If you think loving thoughts of another human being, you're the one that gets to experience that. So regardless of what we think, we are the recipients of our own thoughts. And no other person can experience our love or our hatred more than we can. And therefore, it is incumbent upon us, if we want to really show love to ourselves, is to think nothing but loving thoughts. Because anything else is like a slow suicide. You're just thinking thoughts that are going to do nothing but harm you or harm us. We are the recipients of our own thoughts. Whatever you do to another human being, you do to yourself first. I totally agree. I totally agree. And that's why people need to tap into Rob Cagle, and he can be reached at Rob Cagle, K-A-G-E-L dot com. Uh, and Rob, I don't know. Do you want to put out a phone uh, a phone number? Um, An email. Sure, sure. It is six zero two two eight eight six seven zero five. And I know you are open uh, for speaking engagements. Yes, I am. And uh, and, I and I'm like always honored. I'm always honored to do so. I, I really feel it's a calling. It is. It is, and, and you speak very eloquently, and I think your educational background has uh, assisted in that. And you know what, Rob? The reason why I believe you're, let's say if I can say, like the chosen one to assist people in receiving the gift of forgiveness is because you have your educational background. You can help people learn because you know how to teach. So you... Uh, can I name you the ambassador to forgiveness? <laughs> well, now you're feeding my ego. If you do that, I'm trying to. <laughs> I'm trying to keep my Why ego not? at bay. Why not? <laughs> sure. <laughs> so we're going to call you the ambassador of uh, forgiveness. And again, we are down to one minute. So, Rob, how do I say thank you for sharing with me and, and our audience your incredible story and how loving and uh, each individual is so important. Um, but thank you for being with us, and I hope you come back again. Thank you so much for having me, Steph. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I've enjoyed sharing uh, that which is in my heart. Well, and you've done uh, such a great job of uh, get, getting out your message, so thank you again. And I want to thank all of our listeners to being here with us again this week on Aging Younger Radio. And thank you for being so loyal. We are uh, fast approaching 140,000 global listeners. David and I are very excited, and we are here every week to share our message of health and wellness. 
Until next week, God bless you all, and have a healthy, aging, younger week. You've been listening to Aging Younger with David and Stephanie Tippy. You've just heard that alternatives to the sickness industry are alive and well, helping you to age younger. The Anti-Aging Clinic is located at 7200 West Commercial Boulevard in Lauder Hill, Florida. You can reach David and Stephanie at 954-742-4430. That phone number again is 954-742-4430. And you can learn more about them on their website, livelonger123.com. Join us every Wednesday and Friday at 1. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.